This is the RJ Metrics Buddy Time Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Moore. Every episode of this podcast features another RJ Metrics team member sharing things you might not find out about them hanging around the water cooler. I want to extend a big thanks to Alex Klieger. His Softball Diaries podcast is awesome and is the inspiration for this one. And with all that said, let's meet this episode's buddy. Okay, uh, welcome to Buddy Time Podcast. I've got a guest today. Why don't you tell me what your name is, what your title is, and how long you've been at the company? My name is Buck Ryan, and title is senior uh, software engineer, and I've been here for f- almost four years. Almost in May, four years. Four, actually, like a month from now, it'll be four years. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, getting those sweet, sweet stock options uh, vested right <laughs> up there. And about to get my uh, another <laughs> another one of those swag. Oh, yeah, you're going to have a big, one, big swag tier. Um, I uh, would be really curious to hear uh, what your average day is like here at RJ Metrics. Well, I tend to get in at 10, which I think is late even for the developers, <laughs> um, which is usually because uh, I'm taking care of my son, Declan, uh, in the morning, just mm-hmm. spending time with him because when I get home at night, he doesn't, uh, he's not... It's, it's kind of like spend time with him morning or at night, one or the other. So I've, I've chosen morning mostly. Um, yeah, get in at 10, catch up on whatever email I may have missed, and then I guess dive in. It depends on what project I'm on. Yeah, or, what, what does it mean to dive in? Uh, it might mean like <laughs> coding or doing code reviews or... Um, I guess those are usually the two <laughs> those, things. Those are the two, uh, the two big pillars. Sometimes if I'm on a project, but I'm not on a project right now, so it's just yeah. get in and start coding. Is there, a, for people that, that don't know your specializations too well, is there a particular part of the code base that you really are the strongest in or that you've chosen to focus on? Well, I probably have, between me and, uh, and Merrick and Kathy, uh, we're the leaders on the old PHP big code base. So uh-huh. <laughs> I guess I have a title of knowing that really well yeah. <laughs> in, in a way that maybe I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but lately, I've been specializing in all the backend stuff, the services, and I don't know. I've, I've touched a lot of things, so I know a lot of stuff here. Yeah, the benefits of specialize as much. Quite a bit of tenure and, uh, yeah. and being good. Uh, I think there's two combined to... Uh, <laughs> create a, a dangerous arsenal. Um, so uh, it sounds like your your day is pretty regimented. Do you care a lot about kind of time management and personal optimization? Like one of the things that people suggested I ask you about is your favorite bash uh, commands and shortcuts. <laughs> that to me speaks to a real focus on efficiency. Can you talk a little bit about like philosophically how you like to think about your time? I don't think about my time on a big scale, but I do think about it in in those little ways and like making myself more efficient when I'm doing. I don't think about I'm going to spend the next two hours doing this and I've planned out my day and this is how I'm going to make the most of my day. It's more like, yeah, when I'm writing something on the command line, the terminal, I figure out how to do that little thing better. Yeah. Um, like my favorite bash trick that everybody should know is the double exclamation points to like run the previous command. Mm-hmm. Every time I see somebody like pressing up to go to the previous command and then hitting enter, I'm like, <laughs> I got some stuff to show you. <laughs> <laughs> so how, I got to ask, how is up enter, which is two keystrokes, worse than exclamation mark, exclamation mark, enter, which well, is three keystrokes and a shift? The problem is that 
All right, so in that specific example, you're moving our hand, which is one thing, moving mm-hmm. it over to the keys. But more generally, it's like, um, usually you're not just running the last command, you're like running uh, sudo that command, which mm-hmm. for anyone that doesn't know means like run this with escalated privileges. Um, and so to do that is up, go to the beginning of the line, type uh-huh. sudo, hit enter, as opposed to just printing sudo double exclamation mark. And from there it just explodes. Like if you want the last argument in a command, it's just like exclamation point dollar sign. Hmm. You know, you can pick out the things you want from the previous commands or even go three commands back. And if it's, it's hard to explain, I guess, but when you see it, it's like, wow, this is a lot better. Totally, uh, it is something you can build upon as opposed to just pretty much being a copy paste job for the yeah, last thing that yeah, exactly. Um, how much evangelism of stuff like that do you do amongst the team? I know you have a bit of a reputation as being the, the guru in that universe. Whenever I'm, it's mostly when I when I see someone committing a sin like that, uh-huh. <laughs> that I, I make sure to, to evangelize. But I, I guess I'm not working with people that frequently that it comes up. But mm-hmm. every time I see it. I say something. It's like, if you see something, say something. Sure. <laughs> yeah, good policy. Uh, so it, uh, we'll talk more, I'm sure, about your typical day at RJ Metrics, but just to cover our bases on kind of the full buck picture, uh, what about your day when you're not at RJ Metrics? You talked about your morning a little bit. Can you kind of give a picture of uh, who's at home, what's it like at home, and how do you like to spend your time when you're there? Yeah, so I'm married uh, to Noel, and we have a son, Declan. He's 10 months old. And our mornings usually consist of Noel works out in the morning and I get a little bit of sleep in, wake up around 7.38, and then mostly take care of Declan for the morning. And like I make breakfast every morning, mm-hmm. so that's, that's my awesome. contribution. What are your go-to breakfasts? I have a go-to breakfast. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is the best oatmeal that you've ever tasted. Nice. It has oatmeal with peanut butter, um, dried cranberries, bananas, um, sometimes peanuts or something like pecans, um, honey, and cinnamon are usually the staples. Wow! So you got some protein, you got some carbs, you, you got, got everything serious in there. fuel yeah. in there. I'm, I've gotten pretty good at it because I've been making it every day for about <laughs> two years. Do, uh, is that breakfast for you and Noelle? Is she in on the oatmeal? Oh train? yeah, she loves yeah. it. Yep. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, that is a very when I think about an idealized version of. Uh, being a, a, a father and a husband in a home, there's something about making breakfast every day that is just like, <laughs> yeah. just feels good yeah. at the core. Yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, um, so I do that every morning, and then we, you know, like feed Declan or play with him, and he goes to nap. I get ready for work and mm-hmm. stuff like that. that. That's the morning. At nights, um, I usually try to make sure to play cello for at least 20 minutes. I've been learning for the past year and a half or more. Uh, I started in August of 20. 20- 14. Yeah, Had you played musical instruments before the cello? Yeah, I played flute for most of my life, I guess about 15 years. And then I graduated college, and I haven't really <laughs> touched it since. <laughs> not a big, uh, <laughs> no need for a flautist in the uh, the RJ Metrics band? I guess not. I was never really into it. I just played it. I, I, at times I got into it. Uh-huh. Like during high school, I wanted to go to Juilliard. There was a period of about a year or two when I had <laughs> dreams of going to Juilliard or Curtis. And so I was practicing all the time trying to get better. 
But after those two years or so, it was more like I did it because I got a scholarship for it at Drexel and mm-hmm. not because I liked it all that much. And You got a scholarship for fluting at Drexel? Yeah, for playing in the concert band. Wow. Yeah. That is impressive. That is really <laughs> impressive. Uh, yeah. So were you... Uh, is the concert band, I assume that is different than the marching band... Uh, yeah, the marching a, band marches, plays at... And is that also different from an orchestra, like being in oh, an yeah. orchestra pit? So can you uh, explain the differences? The marching band is what you see at college football games, and I guess not really basketball games, usually, like I guess you would call it a pep band. I was in the pep band, actually, for Drexel, the basketball team. Oh, cool. So the marching band is... Does that, is, uh, uh, does that involve going to all the games and playing at the games? I forget if we went to all of the games. Not... Definitely all the home games. All the home for games, sure. yeah. And then maybe some of the away games if they were close. What was the main... Uh, what was the one hit that you knew if you played it, the crowd would go nuts? Oh, geez. It's been so long. <laughs> um, I honestly don't remember. I don't remember anything we played. Was there a lot of... Uh, hey! Like that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. Whenever we won, um, we, we played that. And... Um, the crowd did love it because yeah. we just won, and so it's like in your face. Yeah. We just won. <laughs> nice. Get out just, of here. You're just the double exclamation mark, if you will. Oh, me. I'm thinking of na 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 na. Oh, na na na. Hey, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking of. That's the one. Okay, cool. So I interrupted you. The that's the pep band. You were in the concert band. Yeah, pep band is like the marching band in that they try to get everybody riled riled up and stuff. But it's much smaller because you're in a basketball court and not on a football field. Do you mind if I ask, so the the scholarship for playing the flute, what kind of like coverage of tuition are we talking about here, like on a percentage basis? Like how how big of a deal is that? Well, it wasn't it wasn't that big, but it every bit helped, obviously. Yeah. Um, with Drexel's tuition, it was something like I don't know, like a fifteenth to a tenth. That's no, it wasn't a tenth. It wasn't a tenth. It wasn't that significant. It uh, was like maybe like a fifteenth. So, so still, still pretty. Still, good. like you're being paid thousands of dollars a year to play the flute. Yeah, effectively, yeah. it's probably like among the top point one percent of uh, people <laughs> who attempt to uh, uh, get proceeds out of yeah, out of a yeah, flute it playing was career. Pretty nice situation. Awesome. Uh, okay, so then the uh, talk to me about the the concert band. Then what what's the scenario where the that concert band we we play more musical things we're not trying to get anybody riled up we actually put on concerts so uh-huh. once some once a quarter or once a month we would put on a concert where we play things that are almost like um orchestral music mm-hmm. but the, the big difference between an orchestra and a concert band is that orchestra is very heavy on string instruments mm-hmm. and concert band maybe by definition doesn't have any or is just very light on them it's oh, a lot of saxophone and brass instruments and, and stuff like that heavier on percussion maybe not heavier but there's a lot of percussion and there's big flute sections whereas in an orchestra you have huge string sections mm-hmm. you've got violin viola cello bass um the you might have only just like four flute players mm-hmm. as opposed to 10 to 15 in a concert band wow so the music is different it's not as classical mm-hmm. it's a lot some of it is a lot more modern music Gotcha. Who's the audience for that? Is that students that come in, or are there alums, or what? I always wondered that. I, I guess it's largely um, 
Well, there are some students, but I, I assumed that it was largely parents of musicians <laughs> in the concert band. It's like all of my improv <laughs> shows. It's like the, the other people who are on the other improv teams are coming, <laughs> coming in to yeah. check it out. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So if you were among a, a dozen flute players, do they have the concept like they do in an orchestra where you have first chair? Yeah. Or, so how, as you went through your four, were you at Drexel for five years, right? Yep. You did the co-ops and whatnot. So you've got five years there. Were you in the concert band all five years? Yep. So did you work your way up some ladder? I or did, did you work get to, my way up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, when I started, I was, I was probably like eighth, ninth chair, mm-hmm. something like that, maybe 10th. Um, and then in fifth year, I was I was fourth chair. Nice. So never got to the tippy rock, top, rock, rock. but well, that's pretty. Uh, four out of ten ain't bad. Yeah, yeah, Not bad. Um, okay, so we got on this whole flute thing talking about after work. You like to play the cello for yeah. half an hour. So, so what, from high school, I've wanted to play cello. That has always been my favorite instrument. And I'm going to sound like an idiot for a moment. The cello is the the huge one that's kind of like the upright bass, but you play it with a bow. You play it with a bow. Even the upright bass, you play with a bow. If you're oh. in a lot of okay. orchestra, you play with a bow. As long as you're not down at Chris's Jazz Cafe. Yeah, jazz is plucking a lot more. Uh-huh. But cello is the one that's uh, yeah just under the bass, the double bass, the upright bass um, size. And you, you sit down and you have it between your knees. Is there some appeal about that because it's basically the opposite of the flute it seems like it's the, it's from this little shiny thing to this giant wooden uh yeah beast. yeah i guess that's part of it but mostly uh, i just love the sound of the cello hmm. I, I think you can't beat it in any instrument any sound really it's just it's such a an amazing sound it's the perfect uh pitch You've got these deep notes that are really nice, but it also can go really high. And mm-hmm. when you got someone that can play the cello, it's just, I uh, can't, the sound of it is just amazing. I admire your ability to find the time to do that, given that you've got a 10-month-old at home <laughs> and uh, a job that uh, I'm sure is demanding in a lot of really meaningful ways. Do you and Noel have... Uh, Basically, an agreement with each other that you each kind of get your time for your personal projects and you provide fire and firing cover for each other so that you can pursue that stuff? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when we were getting married, going through the engagement process, some of the marriage prep things that we went through were, say, to talk about your your goals, basically, for your marriage. And one of the things that we had on top of our list was hobbies mm-hmm. and sticking to them. So we've tried to stay dedicated to that. If, if, I, if Noelle wants to pursue something, I help her do it. And if I want to pursue something, Noelle helps me do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like she started taking painting classes on Tuesday nights, which cool. are three and a half hours long. So I'm totally fine with that. She should get to her time to, to do that and have some alone time. And I take care of the, the house, so to say. That's great. The apartment. <laughs> Is the... What's your end game with the cello? It sounds like it's very personally fulfilling, and maybe that's an end in and of itself, but do you envision yourself ever playing in a band again, playing in an orchestra with it? I have i don't have clear-cut end, game, end, end visions, no. I um, Mostly it's just to, to play it, and I want to be good at it. Mm-hmm. But I have thought about uh, going on the street and, and playing and just trying to get people to stop and listen. Or um, maybe joining an orchestra or something like that, like a community orchestra. Um, there was a word for that playing on the street that I ought to know. Yeah, it's busking. Busking, that's yeah. it. I was thinking of like <laughs> shucking, but I think that's something you do with corn. Yeah, it's busking. a really weird, really weird word. Oh, man. 
I would get so much joy out of walking through the concourse underneath our building and seeing you busking <laughs> on the cello out there. I that figure I might try it this summer, and I'm gonna. My goal is, my my idea is, since I'm still not very good, mm-hmm. I'm gonna put up a sign that says, "Listen, I just started two years ago. Uh-huh. I I don't want money. I just want you to listen and maybe give me some compliments." And <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. Maybe it'll take the pressure off of playing a little bit. It's, uh, it, I feel really lucky that we have so many people here that are so talented at things outside of what they do during the day here. And I almost want to take a day out of the year and tell everybody that they just have to go take their talent that is the most buskable talent <laughs> buskable. and just like put a put a hat out uh, and see if we can generate more revenue out of, out of busking <laughs> than we would get from selling yeah. software for a day. <laughs> I would like to believe that's not the case, but... Uh, Man, there's a lot of talent in here. Um, okay, very cool. I, I actually want to go back. You talked about some of the, the preparation stuff that you did leading up to your marriage. Uh, I got married earlier this year. It was a Methodist ceremony, and we had a couple of sessions with the, uh, the pastor who did our uh, service that I think were probably similar to maybe what you went through, where you're talking very openly about long-term expectations and how, you know, the ups and downs of marriage and kind of like getting clarity on what you're going into. Uh, is that the kind of thing that you went through? Was it uh, kind of out of the, the church or uh, something in that world? Yeah, so we got married in a Catholic church and they have basically the equivalent. We met with the priest a few times. We had to take, um, I, f- uh, I feel like there's a, oh, pre-Cana. Pre-Cana. Yeah, because of the wedding at Cana. Uh-huh. Um, so we had to take that, which was a, two-day thing where on a Saturday we were there for eight hours and wow. they had Are you there with other couples? Couples? Uh, yeah, there was couples. <laughs> other couples. So many couples. <laughs> there was a lot of them. It was a auto, not an auditorium, but like a cafeteria filled of, of people. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they talked about very practical things, things that maybe people don't think about when mm-hmm. they're getting married if they're not prompted about it, like talking about your finances and making sure that you're yeah. on the same page there and talking about your goals in life and that sort of thing. I think it's really important that that forcing function exists in some way, shape, or yeah. form. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, I have been in relationships in my life that have been long relationships that would have benefited so much from having a conversation that maybe it's sometimes hard just on the couch to be like, hey, you know what? We should really sit down with that Excel spreadsheet right now. But <laughs> having that exist, I think, yeah. um, is really important really important. That's really cool. Was there anything that surprised you or that you have already seen the benefits of that you feel like because of the pre-Cana you've walked away and you're in a better place now? The only thing I've really thought about is basically what I pointed out that they told us to pick three things in particular that we wanted to focus on in marriage and those would be kind of our goals Mm -hmm. and we would have to keep them in mind. Our three priorities even. Um or maybe it wasn't even three because I can think of more at the moment. So we both wanted to make sure to uh, focus on God and like our faith and be better Catholics. We both wanted to prioritize family. So mm-hmm. make sure that we, my, my family lives 20 minutes away in the suburbs. So yeah. we go there every other week pretty much. Awesome. And that's, that's part of it. Uh, her family's farther away, but we're going to visit the summer. And we're going to stay for two weeks just to, like, we 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 normally stay for one week, but mm-hmm. we decided Declan's getting a little older. Seeing them is not so frequent. While we have the chance, we can stay at least another week to for him to get to know them. That's uh, great. What Are they in the U.S.? Yeah, in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin? Yeah. Very cool. So those are two of our goals. Hobbies was another one. 
we wanted to make sure to improve our hobbies. We figure um, we didn't want to make having kids an excuse to get lazy about that sort of thing. Absolutely. And so we've been trying to push through, make sure we, we stick to it, no excuses. Admirable. And it sounds like you are being successful in that during what is probably one of the hardest periods of uh, rearing well, a child. I, I think right? the hardest part is over. So <laughs> at this point, it's getting a little easier. He's more predictable. So yeah, it's it's not so bad. Uh-huh. 20 minutes isn't that much time to practice every day. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so you like to carve out some time to play the, the cello at night. Anything else that you like to spend your free time doing? I work on you know programming side projects. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what kind of stuff do you like to do when you've got some free time on the coding side? Well, you mentioned opening up an Excel spreadsheet for budgeting. Uh-huh. Uh, we use this program called YNAB, which is an awesome budgeting tool, but uh, I want an open source version of it, basically. Uh-huh. So I've been working on an open source version nice. of it. That's one of the things. Um, or, well, there's just one project that I have to keep, keep up with. It's called Powerline Shell, mm-hmm. and I essentially inherited maintainership of it. And okay. it's a project that has about 4,000 GitHub stars, I think. Wow. So I haven't been great at uh-huh. <laughs> maintaining it, but... Does maintaining it mean ch- doing pull requests on other people, or yeah. sorry, code reviews on other people's pull requests? Yeah, reviewing pull requests or when issues come in, maybe try to fix it, stuff uh-huh. like that. Gotcha. And I inherited what is a big PowerShell? backlog. It's, uh, it's you know, another one, another one of those command line things. Mm-hmm. It's a prettier command line prompt it gives you information about what you're doing in a prettier and like more extensible way do you use it here yeah oh cool does anybody else use it here i remember seeing um at least one other person using it once although i think they've switched away at this point so now i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know do you know who the audience of people that use it are is it a cohort of people that are a bunch of kids in college, or is it people that are people that have been developing for twenty years? You know what the kind of profile of user mm. is. I don't. That's an interesting question. Now, uh, all I have to go on is like GitHub username. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless I go and look into who each person is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have pictures that might tell me what they look like, but I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm guessing some of the more seasoned mm-hmm. developers might not use it just because I don't know. Uh, they've probably already figured out how to get the same information in like the standard, the standard way, you yeah. know, not by using this new tool. That's kind of an interesting concept that you, in some ways, are beholden to a community of people that the only thing that you know about them is that you have one particular thing in common, which is that you like this thing, <laughs> you like this yeah. PowerShell thing, and you know nothing else about any of their personal attributes. Yeah, that uh, is it's interesting. Kind of, it's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. I found the the more I've learned a lot about open source development in this project, mm-hmm. and the biggest problem is that I don't actually own the repository. I don't own the code; it's somebody else's username. But early on, I got involved with the project, and he added me as a collaborator, which gives oh, okay. me rights to basically maintain it. Mm-hmm. And then the owner disappeared, and so now wow. I can't do like real. I can't add people to help me out. So with you it. can't add other collaborators. I can't add other collaborators. So <laughs> I can't move it to my own repo. So like, this project dies with you, basically. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. Could you? I guess you could fork it and try I could to fork convince it. I people. I thought about forking it and just putting in the putting in the description like, "Don't go here. Go to." Mm-hmm. 
Buck Ryan's repo for the yeah. real version, but yeah. They're, they're gonna think it's some kind of weird power move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to offend him if he comes back. <laughs> wow. Um, so uh, a few of the things I asked around a little bit uh, about what you are known for outside of your contributions here at RJ Metrics, and the word chess came up a lot. So oh, really? uh, I'm I'm curious if you can tell me a little bit about your relationship with chess. That's funny that I'm. And by a lot, I mean I that. asked uh, two people that question, and they both said chess. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. Were they like? Was Akash one of them? <laughs> it might have been Akash. May have been, uh, you know, anonymous contributions. Also, I have this awesome thing now where uh, Catherine, the new admin, is preparing dossiers on people that I am interviewing on this podcast. So you are the first one where I have this paper in front of me. It's got a copy paste of your About Us page. And she has gone around and kind of, you know, whispered in people's mm. ears, like, hey, there's a, if you could ask Buck one question that you've never asked him, what would it be? That's pretty cool. And that's a, there's a list of, uh... here. And chess is one of the bulleted items. So uh, <laughs> that's... I'll factor that one in too. Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of it. Actually, on says that. to be fair and uh, appropriately complimentary. It says great at chess. Wow, yep. I don't know how this is happening. Well, there's a, you've got a reputation because <laughs> I've played three people <laughs> in chess and lost to one of them. The other one is a newbie and I'm basically tied with the third one. So, <laughs> uh, who? What is the, maybe a good place to start is, what does the RJ Metrics chess community look like? Are there, is there a chess Slack channel? Are there chess players that... There is a recent chess Slack channel, uh-huh. which is where I think a lot of the discussion about... Private or public? Com- I'm pretty sure it's public. All right. Yeah. Well, plug for R- the chess. RJ-chess. Uh, RJ-chess. Yeah. Was chess taken? <laughs> maybe it's chess. Maybe I'm remembering <laughs> that wrong. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> uh, it's probably actually just chess then. Um, yeah, there's little bits of, of people getting interested now. People are starting to play games mm-hmm. and whatnot. Do you, is that concentrated to the engineering team? Or is it, I guess, if Akash no. is involved, then definitely not. Akash yeah. opened it. So on the analyst team, they opened it. And I think there are people from all over. Yeah, there's some people on the marketing team, I think, that are part of the channel. Do you consider chess to be on par with cello in terms of your own personal investment? Or is it a little more of a back burner thing? Well, it was at a time... It back in between maybe August and October, mm-hmm. I was playing it all the time and reading a lot and watching videos. And I almost joined a tournament, but it was a little bit more money to join than I wanted to be spending at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was playing all the time, and that's kind of where I got a little bit good. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's just little bits. Is how expensive is it to play in these chess? Is it like the World Series of Poker grade uh, chess here? I think it was. The problem is you have to join one of their national mm. memberships, which I think is five hundred, not five hundred fifty a year or so. Mm-hmm. And then, depending on your skill level and some other factors, it's around a hundred to two hundred to play in the tournament. That's a lot of money for yeah. a chess game. In a yeah, tournament. yeah, for one that I'm not. That uh-huh. great at you do know. you know where that money goes? Is that the does the winner take home a big prize? Well, there pool are prizes. Or? Yeah, that's uh-huh. part of it. Yeah. Um, so you can win back that money if mm-hmm. you're good. And one strategy I had heard is basically there's this chess ranking system, mm-hmm. and I'm not on it yet because I haven't played any official uh-huh. games. So you can choose any level, and so I could just choose the lowest level, mm. thinking I have a really good chance at winning, just to get some money. Let's get back. more. Yeah. I see. That's funny. Uh, so who who at RJ is, in your opinion, the grandmaster? Who's the person to beat in the chess community here? Well, I played Akash once. 
and he beat me. And so he's my target at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to play him again. Uh, Shots fired. Otherwise, I don't know. I've heard that there are a lot of beginners. I don't know of anybody else that is. Rohan is pretty good. We've played maybe twice, and Mm -hmm. he beat me once. I beat him once. I think it was something like that. So Uh, I don't know. Rohan, by the way, is the person who nominated you for the Buddy Time podcast interview. Uh, I do have... When we get to questions from the audience later, I do have a question here from uh, from Rohan. Okay. Uh, so the other hobby on the list here, uh, rumor has it that you're a big ping pong fan. Have yeah. you? Were you into ping pong before you got here, or was that something you picked up here? I picked that up here. I've been getting way into ping pong lately. Mm-hmm. That is taking up a lot of my time. <laughs> not, not a lot. <laughs> I, mean, I shouldn't say that. You're um, going to go home and you're going to be like, I just told him that I show up at 10 a.m. and I play ping pong with most of my time. <laughs> I spend like three hours playing ping pong. No, I play at least a game a day, I would say. Uh-huh. So, Have you been in the ping pong tournaments? I have, but it was before I actually got into ping pong. Mm-hmm. So I've been in, I think there have been three so far. I think so, yeah. And I've lost in the first round of all of them. Now I have a little bit more confidence I could go to the second round unless I play someone. Like nice. Akash is the grandmaster of ping pong from what I hear. Him <laughs> and Jake are on top. So he's, I got a target for him for ping pong too. <laughs> Man, that guy, that guy is like your Lex Luthor. <laughs> he is, but he's so nice. So it's hard to actually think of him that way. Where's the name Buck come from? It's actually a amazing story. It is my favorite story to tell, and I should probably perfect how I should approach this story. Basically, my dad was weird, I guess you could say. Great story. <laughs> uh, I have five older brothers. Uh-huh. Um, I also have three younger siblings, but they don't count for this story. So I have five older brothers, and as each of them were being born, my dad decided to give them all nicknames, and they were all starting with B. So I heard that one of my brothers was Bart, and one was Buster. Do any of their actual names start with B? No. Well, let's see. Kev, Dan, Chris, Pat, Tim. No, none of them do. Can you run down all the names right now? Go. Kev, Dan, Chris, Pat, Tim, Buck, Joe, Boom, Molly. Do it again. Kev, Dan, Chris, Pat, Tim, Buck, Joe, Boom, Molly. <laughs> all right, I buy it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> uh, so... The problem was none of them stuck because my dad is, was just being weird. My mom wasn't going along <laughs> with it and all that. So it got to me, and he chose Buck. So you're so number six? I'm number six. Okay. Yep. That's what that's about. He's showing off a tat that I'm going to be asking about a little later, too. <laughs> um, yeah, it got to me. My dad chose Buck. Started calling me it. And a little bit of a backstory is that I was named after my great uncle. Mm-hmm. It was my mom's mom's brother. Okay. And your real first name is? Francis. Francis. So I was named after him. He was a priest. His name was Father Francis Hugh Gallen, mm-hmm. and I am Francis Hugh Ryan. Mm-hmm. So we only differ in last name. So back to the story, which is that my dad was calling me Buck. My mom was talking to her mom at some point and said, yeah, he's calling him Buck. I'm sure it's a fad, whatever. It's going to go away. Mm-hmm. And... My grandma was like, oh, no way. When Father Fran was in the seminary, everybody called him Buck. Wow. My mom my dad had no idea this was the case. Uh-huh. So I was named after him. Somehow I got his nickname. And at that point, it was like, this has to stay. Wow. That is amazing. The And you also got a real... In the grand scheme of you could have had Bart or Buster, uh, Buck is a, yeah. pretty, a pretty great draw. Buck is a lot better. When we originally were interviewing you... There 
we had your resume. Your resume said Francis Ryan on it. And I remember, you know, after we interview people, we all get together and kind of do the thumbs up, thumbs down conversation. And it came up, uh, I think it was like thumbs up all around. Everybody loved you. And then it got mentioned that you you go by Buck. And at that moment in time, it was like, this is a hire that has to be made. <laughs> like, you don't turn down an opportunity to hire somebody named Buck Ryan. Uh. Funny thing about the name Buck Ryan, uh-huh. there was an Australian comic back in the 40s to 60s, I think. It was called Buck Ryan. Uh-huh. There was a detective named Buck Ryan who was a comic book character. And I have two copies <laughs> you, of the you comic. You have two of them? I have two copies, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I am going to be Googling that later. That is, uh, that is a gem. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what it is like to grow up as one of nine children. That's incredible. So how many boys, how many girls? Eight boys and one girl. Eight boys, one girl. Which number is the girl? She is the last. She is the last. She's number nine. Uh, should I read into that? Is that a uh, let's keep trying until we, until we <laughs> have a girl? That's what I always like, assumed it was. If you'd been a girl, you would have been the last one. Exactly. And I figure if Tim had been a girl, then I would not be here. Wow. <laughs> that's what I was, although I did ask at one point, and they said, no, that's not mm-hmm. the case. That's what you got to say. Yeah. Uh, what? So where where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs of Philly in East Lansdowne. Which is, I mean, it's it's the suburb of Philly, mm-hmm. until seventh grade, and then I moved to Drexel Hill, and then my parents have been there since I was there since until I moved out. Mm-hmm. What kind of home were you in with the nine people? What was the the bathroom sharing and craziness at meals? I can't even imagine. My family Thanksgiving dinner is not 11 people. <laughs> uh, and that's once a year, and it's out of hand. Yeah. we gotta, we got to drag card tables out of the basement for that thing. Yeah, we have 11 people at my parents' house pretty much every time I go. Wow. Every other week. Yeah. Wow. Because they have pizza every Saturday, so pretty much all of us go. That is so cool. All the time, and it's great. Dude, does that mean that all nine still live in the area? Yeah. Wow. The Ryans don't move far away. The Ryans away. don't move far away. <laughs> yeah. Nor do the Cassidy's, my mom's side of the family. So uh-huh. there's a lot of incentive to stay. I have something like 40 to 60 cousins, and they're all wow. in this area. Uh, are there any twins in that nine? In the nine, no. Wow. No twins. How I, when I imagine big families like that, I always, it's almost like a, uh, I get a Brady Bunch picture in my head, and I'm like, all right, there's like, there's the smart one, there's the jock, there's the cute one, there's the outcast, there's the rebel. Uh, are Do you feel like your family kind of falls into those oh, buckets? Yeah. Could you kind of oh, like yeah. tag each one? Yeah, the oldest, uh, Kev, was like the successful one. Uh-huh. He got in a little bit of trouble, but not really. And now he's super rich, and he's doing great for himself. That is exactly the profile you want. It's yeah. a little bit of trouble, but not enough to create problems. Yeah, exactly. You learn where the limits are, and then you go push them. <laughs> so they, they, they started off well. Uh-huh. Number two was the jock. Uh-huh. He was a high school quarterback. He's great at pretty much every sport he ever tried. Uh, number three was the troublemaker. Got expelled a few times. You know, uh, He's doing well for himself now, though. That's great. Um Number four, I guess it is kind of like they say, like it goes in three and then uh-huh. it restarts with number four because number four is, you know, like a good, he's probably pretty much everybody's favorite in the family, my parents' favorite. He, <laughs> is that like, <laughs> is there a uh, like son uh, of the month plaque on the wall or something? It's How always do you, Pat. He's uh-huh. always the son of the month. Always it's, Pat. Pat is the favorite collectively. Uh, mm, the youngest boy 
is my dad's favorite. Everybody knows that. Uh-huh. But between my mom and dad, Pat is like, you know, he's the he's the This is really, this flies in the face of the don't let your kids know who the favorite well, I mean, is paradigm. They, like they there seems to be no doubt in your loud, mind. But everybody knows. It's like it's obvious. <laughs> why why is Pat such the favorite? I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, yes, I do know in some ways. He's super helpful. He would always help my mom with stuff mm-hmm. and he's just a good kid. He didn't get in trouble. He's smart, worked hard. He was a good diver. You know. I'm checking to see if this computer is still on. All right. Beautiful. I don't know if Ryan, it's I don't know if it's still recording. Cut that out. Uh, <laughs> here, hold on. I'll go I'll go do the login. In the meantime, keep running down the uh, the family list here. Okay. This is great. Yeah, Pat was a great diver. Um, that was the thing he did. Um, okay. okay, so Let's Pat see. was a great diver. Yeah, uh, he was super helpful. He was smart. He was hardworking. He's just yeah, likable. Uh huh. Um, all right. See, let's see. There was Tim. Then Tim was, in a lot of ways, I think, a mixture of everybody. Mm-hmm. He was bad at times, but not terrible. Uh-huh. He was kind of like you know the the cute ladies' man, so to say, in some ways. Yeah. And he was a good diver and swimmer, and mm-hmm. he had a lot of like the good qualities and a lot of the bad qualities <laughs> a big mix I know it strikes me that you're speaking about all of them in the past tense uh, and I guess you're envisioning in in high school like the, or whenever this era was when all of you were under the same well, roof well I guess we're talking up. about growing up yeah, so I that's so. why I'm thinking about it yeah. gotcha. I didn't even realize I was doing that though <laughs> Nowadays, everybody's good, pretty uh-huh. much. It's just a bunch <laughs> so, of bucks running around. Pretty much the same guy over and over yeah. again. <laughs> um, and then there was me, and we all know that I was amazing. Noted as he takes a long sip of his beer. <laughs> Drop the mic. Uh, and then there was Joe. Joe was um, more so the, the ladies' man type of guy. You had two, was, so you had back-to-back ladies' men. Well, I mean, Tim had that a little bit. Tim was kind of he had little bits of everything I think Joe mm-hmm. tried really hard to be you know good looking and uh-huh. try that all what lot. is what does that mean in the universe of where you grew up and the era in which you grew up is that a lot of gel in the hair and a leather jacket is that <laughs> uh, you know backwards overalls what, what's the equation well, I don't know I don't know what it was then I kind of forget nowadays it's like you know, he's got he's up with the hairstyle, the recent hairstyles. Like he had the man bun recently. Man bun, bold he's move. Been doing lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's Bill. Bill's really smart. He's like a second buck in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a B name. Yeah, but and William he wasn't. I guess. He's one of the younger ones. Ah, so okay. before me, there was no other Bs. <laughs> and he, yeah, William. <clears throat> so nowadays he's doing well in school. He's threatening to do better than me at Drexel than I did. <laughs> so we're into people that are still in college at this point on the age list. Um, I think I just ran through all the boys. That's everybody. All the boys are college and up. Mm-hmm. Molly is the only one who is, she's finishing junior of high school. Wow. What a, what a amazing Lee Large family. Yeah. Pretty big. <laughs> What's the age spread? What's the number of years from oldest it's, to youngest? It's about 20. It's about 20. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, the, the younger ones were more spread out because I'm number mm-hmm. six and there are 10 between me and the uh-huh. oldest brother. What would you say 
I would I would call it uh, unfair to characterize Molly as just the girl, and that's the thing that makes her stand out. What what is her stereotype or role or whatever in kind of the family dynamic, or is she still kind of defining that? She, I don't think she has something that stands out. She has a lot of qualities. Uh, she is athletic. She's a great volleyball player. She's really good at that. She's hilarious. She started calling my mom and dad by their first names and got everybody to laugh. And so now she still does it about two or three years later. She just calls them Kevin Byrne. <laughs> She's always trying uh, accents like just to be funny, British and Indian accents and stuff like that. Um, she's she's smart. She works hard. She's uh, she's a good kid. She was actually growing up. She was the most helpful person you could possibly imagine. If I was more helpful than Pat, yeah, way more. If I were on the couch and just being lazy and I didn't feel like getting something, and I'd be like, "Hey, Molly, you feel like getting me a soda?" She would be like, "Yes," and she would run in and get it and bring it out. She was so helpful. That's that awesome. Is your mom's name Burn? Yeah. Is that short for Bernice or Bernadette? Bernadette. Okay. Yeah. Does she really get a kick out of all the Feel the Burn merchandise that is readily available right now? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I should ask her. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about this tattoo. All right. Um, what is it? Where is it? And what were the circumstances under which you got it? What it is is a Roman numeral six. Mm-hmm. For being the sixth boy. Um, the backstory on the tattoo is that probably about 10 years ago, my oldest brother's wife, she may have been girlfriend at the time, I don't remember, was talking about the fourth son, Pat. Mm-hmm. And she was introducing him and said, this is Pat, he's number, oh, I don't know, you should all just get a tattooed on you, something <laughs> like that. So Pat was like, that's a great idea. So he actually went and got four tattooed on him. And we all agreed that it was awesome and we needed to do this. And so one by one over the years, brothers started to get them. I knew I would get them eventually. I was just trying to figure out where. When you just said that uh, Pat got the four tattooed on him, you made a gesture like it was kind of in the midsection area. Yeah, it's basically like on his waistline. Is it? Uh, you're also making a size that looks more like a softball than yours, <laughs> no, which is kind of golf ball size. That, that part of it is misleading. It's, okay. it's, it's about the size about of the same size as yours. Yeah, about yeah. the same size. Um, so I was trying to figure out where to get it, and mm-hmm. eventually I decided on my forearm. I like that a lot. And I sat on it for about one to two years to make sure that I wanted to do that. I uh, was still not sure when I would do it mm-hmm. or where. And then there was the Argeometrics Hackathon. And I think it was the first or maybe the second hackathon. I think it was the second. Where yeah. the prize was the Brewster's Millions. Oh, yeah. And that still is the prize to this day. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The first one, I think the prize was... I won the first one. And I think the prize was like 50 bucks or something like that. And we upped the ante... <laughs> For the second one, which was you get 500 bucks to share between your team. And if your team of one, then you get the whole thing. But you've got to spend it within 24 hours. Exactly. So was it the first of the Brewster's Millions that I won? I think it was. Okay. So, yeah, I won that project. The code was never merged into master. What, what was the project? <laughs> the project was adding trend lines to charts. Yeah. And uh, moving averages. Yeah. And it kind of worked. It worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. But... I just never 
made a pull request for it. <laughs> I guess because nobody told me to spend the time to make a pull request for it. Yeah, it went to the, the hackathon Deadpool, unfortunately, where many amazing projects go to die. Yeah, unfortunately. So I won that money, and I was a solo team, so I could spend it however I wanted. And I decided it would be fun to go to New York with Noelle. We were just dating at the time, so I figured we would do a night in New York and just kind of see what happens. We didn't really have any plans. Mm -hmm. Just went there, and we figured we would figure it out. We got there, and we're actually really bad at spending money. <laughs> it was it this got, is the Bruce. This is the plot of Brewster's Millions. You are Richard Pryor. <laughs> actually, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know the plot of it. Is that's what happens? That's what happens. He is. He inherits. Uh, I believe it's a hundred million dollars from a rich uncle, uh, but their uncle knows that the money is going to someone who has never really had money, and he wants this person to somehow gain some kind of appreciation for whatever money comes, money goes, or the complexities associated with being wealthy. So there's a catch where he's got to spend. I think it's five million or ten million dollars in a relatively short period of time. It's like a week or two. Okay, and. Uh, it kind of ends up being this huge. Uh, it's it's a farce of sorts where he just can't get rid of money. Like he spends, <laughs> you know, a million dollars on a baseball card or something, and it turns out that the baseball card is worth two million dollars. He just keeps getting richer and richer, <laughs> and richer. And if he doesn't get rid of all the money, he doesn't get the hundred million. And John Candy's in it, and it's his buddy, and they're minor league baseball players. Uh, so there's, it's a great freaking movie, classic eighties. Uh, yes, you should definitely give it a watch. So I guess I'm exactly like that. It got to be 8 p.m. and I think we had spent maybe a hundred dollars. This is a, we got to do a better job of this. We only have a few more hours. We went here and there, and then we were at a bar and just having drinks. And Noelle got the idea. You get your tattoo. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, that sounds a little crazy uh -huh. to just get a tattoo. But I have been thinking about this for two years or so. I know I want to get it and where I want to get it. It seems like maybe it's a pretty good idea. And you're in the city so, that never sleeps. Exactly. We uh, we looked around for some tattoo places. We found one place, but it was not going to happen anytime soon. They mm -hmm. were just, I guess they took appointments and we couldn't get in there. So I went another place and I think we were in, I don't know New York very well, but I think we were in West Village. Mm -hmm. And yeah, found a place. And then just got it. Amazing. away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so then I got back and told everybody, and everybody was impressed. <laughs> that was a let to this day, I think. I don't think a hackathon has gone by where I haven't explained the Bruce's Millions Prize and then use you as an example. There have been a couple of other attempts to create glory of the grade that you created there, <laughs> uh, including... Uh, well, the MakerBot, the 3D printer, was purchased with Brewster's Millions money, which was a cool office thing, but not really an experiential thing. Uh, there was one where a team got me to somehow, I don't, I still don't know how the accounting worked on this, but I just took $500 cash out of the bank and gave it to them, and they went to the Sugar House Casino and put it all on red, I think, and it came <laughs> out black. So they lost $500 yeah, uh, like instantaneously. That. that would have been a great story had yeah. the odds fallen in their favor. Uh, yeah, there's uh, your your number one uh, with a solid lead against the, the rest <laughs> of the pack there. Yeah. Um, wow. So the have all eight boys gotten their tattoos at this point? Yes. I think Bill, the youngest, was the last. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty certain that he did. So Molly is going to get one, but we're going to wait a year or two, uh -huh. I think. <laughs> yeah. Great. 
is uh, who's got the most ridiculous one or the biggest one? Or is there any kind of story that's unusual about any of them? Not really. A lot of them have stuff around it. Mm-hmm. Like Pat got uh, like water droplets because of diving and stuff like that. Oh, so cool. it, it looks like that. And some of them got, I think my the oldest brother got flags around his. Mm-hmm. So they all vary in location and what's around them and stuff. Do either um, of your parents have tattoos? No. How do they feel about this whole thing? Are they pro-tattoo, anti-tattoo? I guess at this point, they're just, they've accepted it. Uh-huh. Especially because Chris, number three, has tattoos all over. Uh, He's got yeah. two full sleeves, basically. Cool. And every, everybody has them, so they're just kind of like, you know, <laughs> whatever. I, I don't yeah. know if they really care anymore. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, uh, I... On my dossier here, this is so great. I've got a bullet that I never would have dug up myself. It says, describes himself as an anarcho-capitalist. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That I have no idea. This is a very anonymous piece of paper. I don't, only, even, I don't even know what that means. The only reason I think that could have come up is because I recently put that on my as my Twitter description. Oh, that might be it. But I wouldn't have expected anybody to have noticed that by well, now. Well, the Buddy Time Podcast <laughs> has a, a large, extensive research department that wow. has dug this up. What is that? What is an anarcho-capitalist? Um, so, first there was libertarianism. And then there was anarcho-capitalism is kind of one way to say it. Um, anarcho-capitalism is a like political philosophy that says that we would be able to create a, a more just and a more free and a more prosperous society without the state entirely. Mm-hmm. So move all the things that the state does and that people think that the state is needed for, like policing and courts and all that, into just the free market into private sector. Mm-hmm. That's the gist of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it is really extremely small to almost non-existent government, uh, but through privatization, not through actual anarchy. Well, it is anarchy when you take the state away. So that's where the oh, anar- yes. anarchy comes from. Gotcha. So but pure, we, we very, with, very purist capitalism. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, we don't go with anarchy directly just because people associate with chaos uh-huh. but we want a actually like more ordered society so to say gotcha but it just happens to be without the state so huh it's anarchy is the difference is there a difference between that and libertarianism yeah i, I mean libertarianism the problem is that there's a whole wide range of libertarianism there's no like clear definition of what it means you could be um a minarchist, I think even if you're an anarchist, you could call yourself a libertarian. Mm-hmm. So I don't really I see that as that. That's kind of more towards the like smaller government mm-hmm. idea. But there's no clear definition of what it really means. Yeah. At least in the way people talk about it nowadays. Gotcha. Do you how for how much of your life do you feel like you've had these political views? And what do you think were the biggest influences on on that view? Well, uh, it's been fairly recent. I have been moving this way over the years. So in my teens to maybe early 20s, I was Republican, started act- started like learning about, I don't know, started actually reading stuff and trying to figure out, you know, like what is is best, so to say, and started moving uh-huh. towards like libertarian ideas. When Ron Paul was running in 2008, I like really loved the things he was saying and mm-hmm. he got me learning more and reading more and then maybe in the last three years um 
I actually remember having a conversation with my friend who jumped to this anarcho-capitalism before me. We had kind of grown together in our political learnings, but he jumped there before me. And we were having a conversation where he was like, we don't need the government at all. Like, you know, policing even could be privatized. I was just like, you're insane. This doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And then maybe a year or so later, I was thinking the same thing. Um, in recent years, I've like read a few books that have helped solidify the uh, the ideas. Uh, what what are some of the books that wave that flag? Um, the best one I'll point out is uh, the Problem of Political Authority by Michael Humer. Mm-hmm. It is a it's great because it's very philosophical. It's it's uh, it starts off with all right, let's try to justify government and what are the what are the ways people try to justify government and mm-hmm. it's like use of force basically. Um, and so we talked about social contract theory because that's one of the things that people always bring up and he picks that apart and says this is why it doesn't hold up to... He starts everything with like common intuition. Mm-hmm. starts with a situation that's very simple and says everybody would know this case is obvious and they shouldn't do this. And then when you apply it to things like social contract theory, it shows how things start to break down. Um, and so he shows that there are no theories that can justify government and then moves on later to more practical stuff like, well, if we, that's all great, Mm -hmm. but we need policing. So like, how would that actually work if there wasn't a government, if Mm -hmm. there weren't a government and give some ideas of how it might work. Gotcha. Uh, where does the rest of your family fall on that spectrum? Do you have a bunch of anarcho-capitalists? Are people the full political spectrum? Are most people kind of concentrated on the the right or more libertarian side? I am, I think, the only one, definitely the only one uh, this far towards <laughs> anarchy, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got a bit of the, the gamut. Um, largely people fall into the typical like you know like republican views Uh and at least one of my brothers um like votes democrat i guess you could is the best you could say sure um i don't know their their views in depth that's Mm -hmm. kind of like what i know about it gotcha uh do you think that part of what's appealing to you about working at a startup is how purely capitalist it is i hadn't really thought about that actually so i guess it hasn't been a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess not in a way. Because uh, I, I think even with like, even with bigger ingrained companies, you can have the, the, the thing that everybody thinks about anarchy is that it just means chaos, but like you can have order and structure with anarchy. It's just, it's all about like volunteering uh-huh. for that structure. It's all about cooperation and agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think that as a company gets larger and larger, it begins to look more and more like a government in a lot of ways. It does, but the thing about it is, you know, it can I be, can go to a different company or like yeah. it can disappear. It's all, it has arrived through like mutual agreement. It is voluntary that your money flows to that company, not compulsory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of companies, I, to be honest, had forgotten about this, but it's now ringing a bell from when I originally interviewed you. Before you were here at RJ Metrics, you were at your own company. You were trying to start your own company. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that experience and what it was like and what you were building? Yeah, we were trying to build. Who's the a, we? Oh, sorry. The we was my brother, the oldest brother, Kev. Oh, great. Okay. He uh, had the the spark of this idea. Mm-hmm. He'd been working in finance for a long time, and he also programmed on the side, so he was really good at that. Mm-hmm. 
And he was frustrated with using Excel to do data, data modeling at mm -hmm. scale because once sheets start to scale, you got a lot of people using them and you're sharing spreadsheets around, they gain errors, they're incomprehensible. So he had this idea for basically a financial modeling software, which we then tried to make. Um, looking back on it, we did pretty much everything wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of the great things about working at the startup is you learn how much better you could have done that Trial sort of by thing. fire, yeah. yeah. Uh, we didn't focus on uh, marketing or actually getting customers or anything for mm -hmm. essentially nine months. All we did was was try to build a product mm -hmm. and then hope hope that we would have a great product at which point we could sell it to people. This was Kevin was the? Kev, yeah. Uh, does he have an engineering background or was were you doing the majority of the programming work? No, we were both programming. Um, he graduated with an accounting degree and then went into finance and stuff. But at one point, he started learning VBA because he was doing a lot of spreadsheet work. Sure. And then that uh, led to other things. So he had been programming for probably 10 years when we had started oh, wow. this. Great. So he was way better than I was, <laughs> even though it wasn't you know like his occupational background. Got it. So what uh, it sounds like, can you talk about the process of deciding that you weren't going to do that anymore? Yeah, um, I guess I started to realize that we didn't have any customers and I had almost no money, mm -hmm. little to no money left. And I was just upset with the way things were going. And so one thing led to another and it just kind of... It's kind of fizzled out. Fizzled out, yeah. Eventually I was like, <laughs> I just have to get a job. I don't have any money. So <laughs> it was really as simple as that. Uh -huh. Do I have seen a lot of cases where family businesses that don't work out create tension in the family or uh, you know the, the situation doesn't get all that pretty toward the end. Was this a pretty clean uh, dif dispersal of the, the company or was it rough for a little while? No, we left on good terms. We were always on good terms. There was nothing that happened in that regard. I did worry that I disappointed him in a way about leaving because we both realized that the product we were trying to build wasn't working. It had been nine months and we <laughs> still didn't really have anything. And so we started talking about other ideas. Uh -huh. And uh, he was very much into, you know, like I basically just want to own a company. And I was more towards like, I just want money. <laughs> <laughs> so I told him one day that I, I wasn't going to be doing it anymore. And I think it caught him a bit by surprise. Mm -hmm. And so I was worried that there was some maybe tension there, but. I, I think that mm -hmm. everything is fine nowadays. Did you have that conversation with him before you interviewed at RJ Metrics, or did you already have the job and everything lined up by the time you? It was before. Uh -huh. I told him that and then got to work looking for a job. Gotcha. How long were you on the hunt before this all came together? It's probably about a month. And this is one of those times where something just amazing happened where I was interviewing at SIG. Yeah, sure. And they had a position for essentially what later became like our um, efficiency team. Yeah, internal efficiency squad. Yeah. Sure. The, I was interviewing for a job that was like make the traders efficient. Uh -huh. So figure out what they're spending their time doing and then automate those things. Mm -hmm. And the interview didn't go well. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really upset. I was like, this seemed like a job that was good for me. And, and all that. And 
thank goodness I didn't get it because about a week later I just stumbled upon RJ Metrics on Indeed.com uh-huh. and then got this job. And this is I. Even though I didn't work at SIG, I know that this is way better and like way more suited to who I am. Yeah. And I'm just, it's like one of those situations where at, at the time you think, I'm so upset I didn't get this job and it was such a great opportunity. But now it's like, thank goodness I didn't get that job. Yeah. Uh, the, the universe conspired to uh, bring us together, Buck Ryan. <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Um, all right. I, uh, I have a handful of questions that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, and I quizzed you before we started recording, had you listened to any episodes of this podcast, to which your answer was no, was uh, very disappointingly, so you have no idea what's coming, um, but it's just a I few of them. Good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a good surprise. thing. You get the, the immediate element of surprise there. If you could go back to college and retake one course today, which one would it be? I think it would be... Um Abstract algebra. Hmm. I was a math major, mm-hmm. and this was one of the required classes. And it's all about group theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the problem is I don't remember much of it because <laughs> I took it when I was maybe second year, uh-huh. and it was really meant for people that are fourth or fifth year. Hmm. And I was way better at understanding and learning things in fourth and fifth year that I wish I had taken it then instead of early on. So. I think I would take that. It just seemed like such interesting content, and it's applicable to a lot of CS stuff. Yeah, is that a lot of logic and proofs? Uh, oh, I, I mean, that... Actually, no, that class wasn't a lot of, of proofs in particular. In general, my math classes were, and I love those. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite proof is the proof that there are an infinite number of primes. So that's... Is there any way that in the next 15 seconds you can say that proof out loud? How to, how to get through that? Uh, it's a proof by contradiction. Mm-hmm. You first say, all right, let's assume that there are a finite number of primes. All right. And taking that assumption, you have to prove that it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you've proved that there are an infinite number. Gotcha. And basically, you you take if you assume that there are a finite number, mm-hmm. you take all of them because you, you can list them all out on paper because uh-huh. they're a finite number. You multiply them all together. And then you say, okay, what about that number plus one? And essentially, you prove that Wow. That number has to be prime or divisible by something else because mm-hmm. the algebra doesn't work out. Great job. Incredible. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Challenging, accepted, and delivered. Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, so you were a math major, actually. The computer science was your minor. Did you always think that you would end up in an engineering role, or were there times in college when you were potentially thinking about a, a more mathematically centric role? I didn't really know. I mean, when I went to Drexel, I signed up as a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. But I did it because I wanted to do math, and everybody told me, like, if you want math, go into engineering because it's, like, applied math. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I was like, this is not enough math. <laughs> so <laughs> I switched to math. And then throughout the years, I was like, I don't this know This was I- not enough math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, a little bit of a math nerd. Um <laughs> I, over the years, I didn't really know what to do. And it was even a dilemma when I was applying to jobs because I liked programming a lot and I had mm-hmm. done a little bit because I had a CS minor. And that's what I'd done during my co-ops. But I was like, I I only know a little bit. Like, I'm not as good as people that actually do this. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't think I would be able to get that job. But I also wasn't like a great statistician or something where I could get an actuarial job or something like that. So I figured I was in between these two worlds and I didn't know what to do. So. <laughs> Just wow. glad I got this job. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's awesome. It, what what would a future 
in math have looked like? Is that primarily in academia or do you go into, uh, I guess, what are the private sector jobs with a math degree tend to be? Well, a lot of people go into actuarial work. Mm. Um, it's tough. You have to take some tests, but they're in demand and they get paid a lot. So mm -hmm. that's nice. A lot of people go into finance type type areas. If you're if you're really good, you can go work for you know like a trading firm and design their algorithms or something like that. Gotcha. Even those jobs though tend to mean you have to get a PhD mm -hmm. or to, to especially to be at the, at the top of the level, gotcha. you have to get a PhD. What were your co-ops? My co-ops were with the first one was the FAA, and I didn't really do much. Wow, uh, is that? I know they have a big office in Atlantic City. It was there. It's that I one. Commuted an hour every morning to Amazing. get there. Amazing. Yeah. What were you doing for them? Well, I was hired as a mathematician. <laughs> uh huh. And when I got there, they put me on this like flight simulation project with unclear goals and whatnot. Basically, for six months, I didn't do anything. Did you ever run into a guy named Richard Zelinsky there? I couldn't say whether or not I did. He is my. Uh, my aunt's husband, uh, and he, I believe, had a long career kind of in at the FAA at okay. that office. Uh, okay. But he may have retired before you got there. I'm bad with names, so I'm, I'm pretty good I with them also, in the sh I, short term. I think my cousin Mark, Mark D'Alessandro, uh, worked there for a little while too, and he is Mark, who comes in and does like our wiring and IT stuff. Oh, who yeah. looks like uh, Rody from Metallica. Uh, <laughs> I know who you're talking uh, about. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, he may have, he may have been hanging around <laughs> okay. uh, FAA when you were there too. Um, cool. So uh, that did you? Are you into aviation? Did you get some exposure to stuff that was at least interesting in that regard? No. The most interesting thing I remember doing was we went up in a plane, and I don't know what they were doing. I forget, yeah. but I got to go on a plane and I sat in the back. It was like not real <laughs> seats or anything like that. Uh -huh. That was kind of neat, but I didn't learn that much. It was kind of a disappointing co-op. Hmm. What about your other, did you do two or three? I did three. Uh -huh. And the next two were at the same place. They were at Group One Trading, which is in Philly, a uh -huh. lot closer, much uh -huh. shorter commute. Great. And that's a an options market maker, hmm. an options trading firm. Yeah. And so I worked there, worked there for two years. Awesome. Well, two summers. Mm -hmm. What was there anything about that job that you miss? I liked working there. I don't know if I'm the the. I was in a small room. Mm -hmm. There were I was in the on the quant team, and there were maybe six people in the room. Mm -hmm. It was a small office, and it was just fun being in there because it was just small. We got to talk, just. Wow, we're all there. I just yeah. liked hanging out with them. They're good people, uh -huh. and everybody was nice, and I learned a lot. Cool. Uh, all right, next question for everybody. Who is your best friend? Uh, my best friend I'd have to go with is uh, Steve. Steve. Steve, tell me about Steve. Bohansky. Not Bochansky, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's spelled like Bochansky, but it's Bohansky. It's spelled like Bochansky, but it's Polish, so it's Bohansky. Gotcha. What was the question? Uh, yeah, tell me about Steve. Why, how, when did you meet him, and what makes your friendship so special? Yeah, we met in high school mm -hmm. in freshman year, so that was when I was 14 or something. So I've known him for about 14, 15 years or something. Mm -hmm. And we just hung out. He was in the band, which is probably how I got to know him well. What did he play? Bass. Bass. Yeah, he's an excellent bass player. Mm -hmm. And 
just hung out a lot. There was a group of me and uh, this other guy, Kyle, who played guitar, and mm-hmm. we would just hang out all the time. And then in college, we both commuted from home and we lived close to each other, so we were able to hang out all the time still. Cool. Nowadays, our relationship uh, mostly involves drinking good beer, mm-hmm. going to Teresa's next door in, in Wayne, wherever that is, or just... Um, Oh, I think another reason we, we got to be good friends was because we both love the Flyers, and so we would go over and watch games at each other's place and stuff like that. Um, he was a groomsman at our wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you... Oh, oh and he, yeah. he's the one that's the other anarcho-capitalist. So, oh, there you go. Yeah. It all comes together. Yeah, perfect friendship. It all comes together. <laughs> uh, that just made me think of a, a fascinating dilemma, which is, you know, I have one brother, and that made my wedding easy because my brother is a groomsman and check the box. You have seven brothers. Yeah. What happens at your wedding with the the groom's party, the bridal party? Whatever. Your groomsmen. <laughs> yeah, the, How the do you party. choose? <laughs> um, well, we figured we could go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Keep it really small mm-hmm. or have ten people per side or more. Uh-huh. And both of us wanted to keep it small. Uh-huh. And so I figured if I kept it at about four... Then only half or so of my brothers uh-huh. are groomsmen, so it's not like I'm dissing just one or two brothers. Gotcha. And I also felt like, you know, Steve's a really good friend, and um, this is kind of a way of, of saying, like, you know, I appreciate your friendship, and mm-hmm. I hope we stay friends forever, uh-huh. BFFs. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to just have, I guess... My my best man was my brother. And then oh wait a minute, hold on one second. I want to try and guess which of the which of the brothers you ended up including. So you included, you had one friend and then three brothers and then three brothers. Yeah. All right, you got to go with Pat because Pat's everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pat's in the mix. Um, <laughs> Pat was I'm gonna say Kev because you had the business thing going on and you have like extra time together and bonding based on that. Kev was not one. I fail. All uh, right, and I'm out of brothers. Uh, <laughs> all right, give me give me the real list. Um, so there's Pat. And Chris is mm-hmm. uh, basically the three older brothers. Oh, okay. That's, Tim, a, pre- that's a pretty good cut line. That's yeah. a good, uh, yeah. Tim was the best man, and then it was Pat and Chris. Cool. Very cool. Uh, so, uh, what is your number one time waster app? If you pull out your phone and you have an instinctive, I'm going to kill some time on my phone right now, what's the app that you end up opening? Probably the Hacker News app. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I open that and I just browse the articles because I have nothing better to do with my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad. Do you have good apps? Because I, I don't know what to do with this so thing. So I, last year I got like really down the rabbit hole with Reddit. And so there's a Reddit app called Alien Blue that you can download. And then uh, <laughs> Reddit is such a, a dopamine machine. It's yeah. just so addictive. And I actually, about two months ago, I decided that it was problematic how much time I was spending consuming Reddit, and I just uninstalled the app entirely, and I haven't been back on it in, okay. in two months or so. Uh, on so that entirely, or just the app? Entirely. Okay. So, and I actually never got into Reddit on the computer. I have a hard time when I'm on the computer. I kind of feel like working. Like my inbox, okay. there's always something in my inbox. There's always something to do. I take great pride and joy in my work. So if I'm at my Laptop. This situation is kind of under control. If I am commuting or sitting on the couch at night, just kind of hanging out, relaxing with Allie, I will have be more likely to have my phone in hand. And it, uh, 
yeah, I uninstalled. I uninstalled Facebook too in that same swoop. Although that hasn't been a huge time suck. It's like I think it's just a generator of uh, weird social anxiety. Like, why do I care <laughs> about this person that I went to high school with twelve years ago? Yeah. Uh, that you gotta uh, do the Reddit purge or the Facebook purge. Yeah, I cut my list to like a hundred people. That sounds pretty legit. That might be really liberating to yeah, do. Actually, it's really nice because then you only get updates about people you care about too. That's really which nice. Is nice. That's really nice. Uh, that's, maybe that's my key to getting Facebook back <laughs> on my phone. Uh, but now I, I just installed Medium. I'm trying to get a little more into. I have always loved blogging and writing, and I have had a very distributed network of places that I put stuff. So we have the RJ Metrics blog. I was blogging for the New York Times for a little while. I was blogging for Forbes for a little while. I have logins on like the Huffington Post and stuff. And it has led to this hodgepodge of I've had things to say, but it's hard to have a centralized thesis when you can't link to these publications from each other. And uh, it feels like by just having a central blog at like robertjmore.com or something, I would not have a megaphone necessarily, and I like the reach that comes with a publication. So Medium seems like a happy medium, medium uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in a way. So I downloaded the Medium app, and I'm just trying to get myself very familiar with the community as a consumer so that I can really understand who the audience is and okay. what, the, what the usage patterns are so I can make sure that what I'm creating is actually appropriate for that. So gotcha. doing some time on that. Um, and yeah, trying to get back into – I go through phases with tweeting, sometimes where I'm tweeting – a lot, and then I'll go months, and I don't tweet at all. I'm trying to be more consistent on that, so Twitter's probably my next next okay. best one. Yeah, yeah, and saw the, the the Twitter app because it was just too much of a distraction. I was on it too much. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of noise. That yeah. uh, calls for a lot of curation too. Um, what person at RJ Metrics would you most like to listen to a Buddy Time podcast about? Hmm. Be anybody. It can be anybody at the company. Huh. Oh boy, being put on the spot. This is a tough one. <laughs> Ryan, just cut out the pause. I'm not. Bits. Ryan, don't cut out the pause. No. <laughs> <laughs> Extend the pause. <laughs> um, actually, well, how about Akash? Yeah, Akash would be a great one. Yeah, I like Akash, and he's a really nice guy. And I'm interested to, to know more about him. Yeah, he sounds he sounds like... Uh, are you just saying that so that you can learn about his weaknesses and then exploit them in all of the competitive things? You're I, I don't think I'm smart <laughs> enough for that. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, he's, I just have a picture of him slowly listening to this podcast and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like... He doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry because uh, Akash has me beaten everything it's always scariest so. on top he's you know everybody's <laughs> gunning for you when you're at the top yeah. heavy is the head that wears the crown um so uh i do have a question from the audience uh a gentleman named rohan s i said what should i ask buck and he said clearly you need to ask him what's your number one regret about being a father <laughs> that's a perfect rohan question <laughs> my number one regret I mean, does that mean that, I, like, a reason that would make me want to not be a father? Or is it just... I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of what is the, like, least desirable part of being a father. Um, Eye of the beholder. Or it could be, during my tenure as a father, what have I done that I regret in terms of mm. being a father? Actually, that's probably the most... That's probably the best interpretation of that question um hmm. 
Okay, I think my biggest regret is our situations where uh, Declan, my son, was very upset and screaming, and I was doing everything I could to get him to be quiet, and and then I just start to get mad at him mm-hmm. for being upset. And whenever that sort of thing would happen, I would always look back on it and just feel ashamed and just think, like, he's a baby. He can't help it. <laughs> like, he's just – something is bothering him, and I can't figure it out. But at the time, I was just angry at him for for screaming in my face because it just felt like he was screaming at me. Uh-huh. And so it was just basically the feeling of getting angry at him um, that I, re- I regret whenever I do it. That is a deep and touching answer. Take that, Rohan. <laughs> uh, what am I not asking about that I should be? Oh, jeez. Well, I'm running the Broad Street Run again this year. Oh. about that? Yeah. How about running? When did you get into running? I didn't. I don't know why I'm signing up for this thing. <laughs> you can't you can't run ten miles and say you're not into running. That is a you've crossed some kind of bar at some point. No, see, like even this year, I signed up for it, and mm-hmm. nowadays when I like yesterday, I had to run mm-hmm. because I haven't run enough, and I'm in danger of not being able to finish it. And if I were running on my own, I'd be like, all right, I'm just not going to do it. It's too late to train. But Noelle is relying on me because we're oh. supposed to be running it together. So uh-huh. it's like I kind of have an obligation. Um, the weirdest thing is I have not been running, okay? Uh-huh. I've run maybe three times in the past six months. Mm-hmm. and But last night I was like, I have to do five miles because I just have to do this. And I finished it, and I, I don't know how. Huh. It doesn't make any sense. Are you feeling all right today? I feel okay. Wow. Yeah. I don't feel dead. It's... uh. How much of that do you think has to do with, since you've done it before, you've figured out how to do the pacing and the breathing and not exhaust yourself as opposed to like muscle atrophy or something? I guess like that. that's that's part of it. I do run a little smarter in a way to like not get as tired. Or when I'm getting tired, I might like, although good runners might say this is terrible, but I, I kind of change my stride up a little bit, which mm-hmm. helps me. I guess work different muscles and keep going for longer as a huh. result. Yeah. I still remember the first time I ever ran a 5K and it felt like the longest race I'd ever run in my entire <laughs> life. And yeah. I also feel like I trained for months, many months, like three to four months leading. I was like, I'm going to do a 5K <laughs> this summer. And I started in February and I, I started running and worked up to it. And it was the hardest run that I ever did. And now, yeah, if I go three or four months without running, for some reason, somehow I can suddenly run five miles and yeah it's hard it's certainly harder than when I'm at peak strength but to go from nothing to a 5k was so much work and now to go from nothing to five miles is nothing and I think it is it's got to be psychological and it's got to be the muscle memory associated with the breathing and the pacing stuff. I could see that yeah because yeah, I don't I know do, that I, I have was a any... rhythm when I'm like the yeah. breathing rhythm I have that down pretty well and mm-hmm. yeah maybe you're on to something yeah I'm gonna write a book about this <laughs> it's over have you uh, done the broad street 
I'm doing. Bro- I lost the lottery, but that's not going to stop me. Yeah, I'm gonna. F- I'll either a friend will drop out at the last minute, or I'll just go on Craigslist and buy one, or I will not pay anybody any money and just show up and run down broad, there which is pretty viable. Or I can wear. I probably still have my number from last year sitting around <laughs> somewhere. I could go <laughs> screw up the whole RFID system. Although, oh, you're like you're looking to deliberately screw it up because like people run without numbers. And I'm a, totally I'm an anarcho-capitalist man. I'm gonna <laughs> it's just like want to destroy everything. <laughs> Chaos everywhere. Chaos everywhere. <laughs> uh, Buck Ryan, it's been a pleasure. This is awesome. Likewise. This Thank you fun. so much. And uh, tune in next time for RJ Buddy Time. All right, thanks, Bob. Thank you.